thought the ex-president was too stiff and complained to friends about his stony countenance, his foul teeth, and the dead look in his eyes. But Stewart still took Mrs. Washington's assignment gladly. Alcoholism and exorbitant spending had put him in debt, and he needed cash. Besides, he'd made quite a bit of money from his first two Washington portraits. He sold the first one to a wealthy merchant for a tidy sum, but before delivering it, quickly painted and sold at least fifteen copies. One was later used for the image on U.S. quarters. The second painting, a full-length portrait this time, was so well received that Stewart was able to sell dozens of copies before delivering it to the banker who originally commissioned it. Aware of Stewart's past duplicities and not wanting to spend months waiting while the artist copied her paintings, Martha Washington made a careful deal. She insisted that Stewart agree to deliver the portraits the moment they were finished. The sitting with Washington began much like the previous efforts. Stuart was relieved to see that the president was wearing a new set of false teeth that made his face look more natural. But he was exasperated when, once again, Washington's face turned to stoniness the minute he sat down. Stuart told jokes and anecdotes, trying to capture an engaging, interested look. Didn't work, but in the middle of the sitting, Washington's face momentarily lit up with a pleasant expression. Stuart began drilling him to find out what had happened and discovered that Washington had seen a horse go by outside. Stuart began talking horses, anything and everything he could think of. Then he talked about farming and anything to do with rural life. Washington's entire demeanor changed. He became more natural, more lighthearted. His face became brighter. The result was the best portrait of the first president ever painted. In fact, Stuart was so pleased that he immediately began trying to figure out a way to keep it. If he could just get out of the deal with Mrs. Washington, he could make more than a dozen hurried copies. He could do hundreds at his leisure and finally get out of debt. But how could he pull it off? Then he hit on a plan. He stopped a few brushstrokes short of completing the painting, leaving a little canvas peeking through where Washington's collar should have been. Then he told messenger after messenger from the impatient First Lady, Sorry, it's not finished yet. Even a visit from the former president couldn't shake the painting loose. Instead, Stuart sent along one of his copies of the original. Mrs. Washington hung it up, but told her friends, It's not a good likeness at all. In fact, not many of the copies were. Stuart was interested in speed, not quality. According to one of his daughters, on a good day, he could pump out a copy every two hours. Many had little or no resemblance to Washington at all. Regardless, the portrait became a wildly popular commodity, and Stuart dashed off more than 200 copies, calling them his $100 bills. But he still couldn't completely rid himself of debt. Ironically, in the end, there were so many inferior copies of the unfinished portrait that they actually did significant damage to Stuart's reputation. When he died in 1828, he still owed considerable money and his youngest daughter, Jane, also a portrait painter, had become the breadwinner of the family. By the way, the original paintings, still technically unfinished, never were delivered to the Washington family. The Boston Athenaeum wound up owning them, and today they're shared part of the year with the Boston Museum of Fine Arts and the National Portrait Gallery in Washington. According to the book, The Intelligence of Dogs, Border Collies are the most intelligent breed, and Afghan hounds are the dumbest. Tony the Tiger will be 50 in 2005. 
The Jolly Green Giant turned 77. Top-selling comic book of all time, August 1990 issue of Spider-Man, 2.7 million copies. When he needed inspiration, Ludwig von Beethoven poured water on himself. The average kid eats 15 pounds of cereal a year. Full-grown grizzly bears can bite through half-inch steel. Great moments in advertising. It may be hard to believe, but Americans weren't always concerned about bad breath, foot odor, and dandruff. It took a concerted effort by advertising agencies to focus our attention on these earth-shattering problems. 1926, the discovery of halitosis. Listerine antiseptic had been a product of the Lambert Company since the 1880s, but was never particularly successful. By the 1920s, the early years of Prohibition, its most attractive feature to consumers was its 25% alcohol content. In 1926, the company decided to boost sales by creating an ad campaign. But what could the product actually do? No one was sure. So they gave it to a chemist to find out. His list of Listerine's benefits included an unfamiliar term, removes halitosis. What's that mean, the president asked. Bad breath, the chemist replied. Armed with a scientific-sounding name, Listerine pioneered a new advertising approach, presenting bad breath as a crippling social disease that Listerine could cure. Their ads showed endless situations in which halitosis spelled business and romantic ruin. A sample ad featured a photo of a woman staring into a mirror with the following text. What secret is your mirror holding back? Night after night, she would peer questioningly into her mirror, vainly seeking the reason. She was often a bridesmaid, but never a bride. And the secret her mirror held back concerned a thing she least suspected, a thing people will not tell you to your face. Halitosis. In a few years, Listerine's profits increased 4,000%, and the strategy soon launched a new type of advertising, scare ads. Lifebuoy Soap found its sales slipping badly, so Lever Brothers hired a new ad agency, which took the Listerine approach one step further by launching the term B.O. for body odor. A sample advertisement featured a picture of an anguished office worker peering over his shoulder at two huddled co-workers. And the text? One little whisper shattered my pride. I'd given Dick and Bob a cheery good night. They merely nodded in reply. But I was getting used to their unfriendliness. Then as I walked away came the whisper. B.O. Of course, the campaign worked. By the early 1930s, the two-note foghorn warning, B.O., was known to everyone through radio ads, and Lifebuoy was the best-selling soap in America. Brain Teasers Here are baffling brain teasers collected by reader David Zapp. Can you solve them? One, a murderer is condemned to death. He has to choose between three rooms. The first is full of raging fires. The second is full of assassins with loaded guns. And the third is full of lions that haven't eaten in three years. Which room is safest? Answer, the third room. Lions that haven't eaten in three years would already be dead. Two. Can you name three consecutive days without using the words Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday?
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Answer: Sure, you can. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Three. A man is found dead in the Arctic with a pack on his back. What happened? Answer: It's a wolf pack. Four. A man pushes a car up to a hotel and tells the owner he's bankrupt. What's going on? Answer: It's a game of Monopoly. Five. You have two plastic jugs filled with water. How can you put all the water into a barrel without using the jugs or any dividers, and still tell which water came from which jug? Answer: Freeze them first. Take the ice blocks out of the jugs and put them in the barrel. You'll be able to tell which frozen water came from which jug. Six. A woman shoots her husband. Then she holds him under water for over five minutes. Finally, she hangs him. But five minutes later, they both go out and enjoy a wonderful dinner together. How can this be? Answer: The woman was a photographer. She shot a picture of her husband, developed it, and hung it up to dry. Eight. What's black when you buy it? Red when you use it? And gray when you throw it away? Answer: Charcoal. Nine. A man is born in 1972 and dies in 1952 at age 25.